Content note. This episode of So Many Books, So Little Time includes an aeronautical uh, accidents and incidents, which could be a bit difficult. Um, it also includes discussion and plotting of murder and some interesting perspectives on mental health, as well as sexualization and objectification of women somewhat, and also some language that is technically um, steeped in not a great history towards people who are disabled or mentally uh, compromised. Hey, hey, folks, Dave here. Andrew. And welcome to So Many Books. So Little Time. Please join us as we continue with Catch-22 by Joseph Heller with Chapter 28, Dobbs. Very Australianism, but uh, I was just thinking, don't dob someone in. No, no, we do dob. We have a good dobbing culture in Australia. You don't snitch and you don't... uh, What was the other one? No, well, I mean dob is an Australianism. Yes, yes, yes. But we have... So dobbing is, is sort of like tattling, but it's not... Dobbing is when someone's doing the wrong thing and you, you, you kind of go, oh, yeah, nah, that's not cool, mate, and, and you dob them, dob them in. That's not cricket, as yeah, they you, say. You, you, don't, you don't tell them to your supervisor, that kind of thing. Yeah, like you might, but you, usually it's, it's... You should. Uh, <laughs> no, you do. I mean, no, that's the thing. People argue that dobbing isn't Australian culture, but I've heard, I've heard and read evidence to suggest the contrary, that we are about kind of dobbing is different to tattling tattling is to say something just to get someone in trouble right dobbing is when you when someone does something that is literally harmful or wrong and it's not fair that they're getting away with it or it's dangerous to others so there's it's it's basically it's whistleblowing but australian edition does that make sense but but i do i do find that you know like australia does have a um a reputation of being like very laid back people and then yeah. you get here and you're like well <laughs> some things yes yeah, some things no no yeah. no some things definitely like most cultures we're complicated we run the gamut things yeah. could be better <laughs> like with anywhere things can always be better as we know but yes, yes but yes. um you sound chipper today i'm okay i'm i'm Trying to, I'm not coping with the fact that I'm inundated with things to do. Um, some things have been done and they are sorted. Other things, not so much. And I am looking at them, eyeballing them with, with oh gosh. Yeah, um, um, yeah. There's a lot to do. Juggling. Oh like I, I've just started a new job, and um, now I'm trying to work out how to use the time that I'm not at work to get everything else I want to do done, but also not yeah. burn out. Yes, the burning out business. That's 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 the thing. It, it it's been. Is... I have to say, it's been unsuccessful this week. I think maybe it'll take a couple of weeks where I can start to actually set aside the time to work on my YouTube channel and to get these podcasts edited and up with more regularity. Like just you know, even today carving out time to record was a little. But yeah, I think I can do it here. Good ruse ready. Okay. Yeah, we need to. Like, I need a. I need a fairly. I have now, right now, need a schedule. Like I need a really solid schedule. And I sit down and actually reflect and I go, what is it that I have to do? What is it that I can't? Although there was a really cool article and I need to send it to you because it is very cool, which was um, goals gone. <laughs> okay, guys, there's a pun coming and I shall warn you. Goals gone wild. <laughs> and it's the idea that, you know, like it's talking about how goals, if you d- use them, in in certain ways, goals can foster behavior that is not actually... This is for management and business management, but I mean also for your personal life. When you only focus on goals without context and without having a culture around them that is also process kind of aware, it can backfire badly. And it can also foster those very things in, say, in a workplace or whatever environment where it is harmful and it, it becomes counterproductive. 
Well, the um, big yeah. problem for me every time I've tried to do like the daily checklist thing is, you know, I will because of like poor time management or, you know, it's, I, I prioritize things over others or I just need longer to decompress and just do nothing than yeah. I thought I did. So that it's like those two things I wrote down, those aren't getting done today. And because I have things on my list that remain undone, you know, I should just go, oh, well, tomorrow. But no, I start to beat myself up over the fact I didn't get those yeah. things done. There's, and then, and then I yeah. feel bad, so I just abandon the whole checklist. And idea. that's part of the goals gone wild. Kind of that particular paper was pretty good at dissecting it. Um, I've got to find it because it was really good. Um, but one thing that also comes to mind is that when we uh, we also forget that there's preparation time. Mm-hmm. I was talking to a friend who commented on that they keep forgetting to charge for their research time. Mm. And if you're a writer and you you professionally write and you you're meant to charge you're meant to include that in your hours Mm. and she this yeah so this keeps getting forgotten and it's because they forget to value that this is you are actually doing something right now you are Mm. doing the thing like if you for for the podcast for example if you are updating you're like look i need to edit the podcast i'd like to ideally get it done by xyz time and day well, I need to. I know that I'm going to have to check if the software is up to date. Let me go check. Is everything up to date? Is the mic working? Is my set- setup good? Ha- have I put my chair in the idea? You know, it, it sounds like and it feels like procrastinating, but it's not. Because these are things that contribute to your ability to. Oh, no. Anything associated that, with. See, I'm good at that. I'm very good. Yeah. Like, you know, if. Yeah, anything to do, even ancillary, you know, reading reading stuff on a game that may never make it research for my YouTube channel. That's research. I count that. No, it's more like I'm going to lay in my bed and scroll Reddit for the next hour because I just don't feel the motivation to do anything. But even that plan, plan for your rest. I think plan for rest is another one. That's an important thing I've read about. It's like, if you are going to, you know, scroll social media, put that into your schedule. Give yourself yeah. the time to do that. Yeah, and it, it doesn't mean that you are going to necessarily rigidly adhere to it. Like I, my OCD will moments yes. will will trigger off a, it. I need to get to the five minutes past, or it needs to be half past before I do the mm. next thing. Or like I have I have got that. And guys, I'm not using OCD as a, a just a lightly. It's it's actually a thing. Um, it's a, it's a coping strategy. It's OCD 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 like or OCD. Anyway, it's 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 a it's a thing, hmm. but yeah. So that's how my brain decided to adapt, and I'm like, right, today's gonna be one of those days. So today I will just have to have alarms going off on my phone or little reminders every twenty minutes, every ten minutes, that so so I feel calmer. So I go through my day in increments. Mm. And there's also things like toggle. By the way, toggle. If uh, you're thinking about sponsoring us, no, this is this is not sponsored. This is just I like it as a tool. Toggle's pretty good. There's also a focus mate, which is a really interesting thing. You can there's a free version, as as you do. There's a free version with limited kind of things. There's a paid version, subscription version, where you have no limits. And the idea is that you arrange to have someone that you work that, who's working alongside you on their own thing for 50 minutes. Mm. And there's a certain thing, there's a structure in the at the beginning you say what is it that you're aiming to do? This is what I'm aiming to do. And whatever you're doing that's working towards that that you need to acknowledge that. And it's about it's it's an interesting kind of approach. I like focus made as a tool. Mm. It's very ADHD friendly, but it's also good for folks who are having difficulties starting off something and need someone else there to keep them like to hold them accountable. Mm but might not want to be someone that you actually know, no. Hmm. So just random person. Hi, I'm working on this thing. Okay, you're working on this thing. That sounds really cool. I'm working on this thing. Oh, that sounds very cool. Okay, let us work on our things. And then checking in on each other, saying, how are you going? Oh, it's okay. I'm getting a little distracted. I went down a rabbit hole. It's okay. Okay, here I am. So it's a little bit of that, which there's, there's so many wonderful tools because the beautiful neurodiversity that is humanity um, has come up with some innovations to help us uh, in, as individuals and collectively, which is great. Yeah, but yeah, but in the meantime, um, poor Yasarian. Yes, he he is in the hospital for a real purpose. 
last oh. uh, last chapter. And Although he got kicked right back out because the psych he he was so close to being sent home too. It's yep. just the psychiatrist thought he was another man. Yep. And so the psychiatrist sent that man home. Oh, and th- there was something I wanted to bring up. Uh, he came to me when I was editing. So I'm like, oh, I should have brought that up because, you know, I got to listen to the chapter again. Um, when the psychiatrist was listing everything wrong with the Assyrian, it was all very what we would consider healthy things. He's like, you, you have a problem with authority. You have an aversion to dying, <laughs> you know, things like that. It's like, this is why you're dysfunctional. Yeah, there's some odd... Uh, yes, yes, that is true. That was weird. But then again, the psychiatrist was trying to have certain types of dreams is considered to be normal. It's healthy. Everyone has them, right? Right? Yeah, uh, yeah, that, buddy. That, that was rough. And it came after um, Usarian and Dunbar did some assaults of their own. Yeah, which I think yeah, which is why probably the psychiatrist thought that that was okay to get away with mm. and normal. And well, in the meantime, uh, the, yeah. and the whole reason he uh, Yasserini got sent there in the first place was he when the doctor was dressing him down for what he did to the nurse, he said, "Well, I I've been having a fish dream." Yes, and he got sent to the psychiatrist. Although even weirder, it wasn't his dream; it was Dunbar's dream. No, and then every, he co- collected dreams for others to from others to tell the psychiatrist. Yeah. Which is odd, but also psychiatrist is not quite. Mm. Anyway, the psychiatrist was an interesting person. Like uh, everyone else, he's got one foot stepped out of reality. Yes, or is yes, yes. I'm still trying to figure out how Arfie. You want justice? I'm confused how Arfie is still there. Danica, is, as we were saying, we're hoping this is before Milo, Milo attack. Mm. Because if he still got that attitude after the Milo attack. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the whole thing, like this chapter coming up, is on Dobbs. And Dobbs once again tried to rope Yasserian into his assassination scheme. And then suddenly he didn't. And it's so weird as well. I mean, we, we probably talked a bit about this when he went up to Yasserian the first time. But, you know, Yasserian really doesn't have to do anything. He just has to go tell Dobbs, yeah, I think it's a good idea and Dobbs will do it. But Yasserian wants no part of this. Yeah, no, no. Yasserian's like, no, I, I don't want to like do like if you want to do it, do it. But like. Uh, don't involve me. He didn't want to be involved. That's and it was, what that one is. It was funny because, you know, like Dobbs is like, oh, they're going to send you back. And Yasserian's like, look, if they do that, I'll kill myself. And Dobbs yeah. is like, well, but let me do it then. They're like, no, no. Uh, so frustrating. Poor, poor, poor Yasserian. But at the same time, also, there was that weird woven so had Yasarian said yes kill him then maybe the number of missions wouldn't have been an issue anymore possible well yeah he's the only colonel in the entire army that seems to be raising missions because he thinks it'll make him look good yeah and he would have and Yasarian would have been done with his missions and he would have gone yeah <sighs> but it, it it's it's a trolley problem isn't it yeah, yeah, yeah. It's is the, the whole company switch. worth the life of one imbecile? Uh, yeah. One social yeah. climber? Yeah, it's all very messy. That, that guy's just like, yeah, he's 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 something. He is something. Damn it. Well, so. let us uh, see what we get to learn about Dobbs. And maybe, maybe Dobbs will decide to go through with his plot. Who knows? Who knows? I, mean, I mean, we are getting closer to like what I assume the climax of the book is going to be. We're getting close to the three-quarter mark. I don't know. I think this whole thing has had all these little explosions left, right, and center. Just like a war. Well, and here's the other thing. Like, all the chat... Well, the book is completely told out of chronological order. Yeah. So, like, has the climax already happened? 
you know, is, is, is the actual story structure going to be the same? Is there going to be a climax and then the book's going to end? Or have we already had it and the three-quarter mark is just going to be, I don't know, some other part of the story? It feels like it's... I don't feel he's following a traditional arc. It Well, I did mention in the last two chapters, it felt like things were becoming more desperate. So it does feel like it's yeah. leading to yeah, it's like not a that moment. It's... Yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily that it's like one defining event for me yet, but I mean, you've read this, I have not. But like, I, so far I'm not getting that indication because there's no... The narrative is just that it's becoming more and more fr- frantic. And let, let me say, I don't actually remember anything about like a climax of the book. All I remember is what happens to Yasarian right at the end of the book. Okay. Yeah, okay. and hopefully that's vague enough that... <laughs> so, the main character. I remember what happens to the main character at the end of the story, but I forget it's... almost everything else. <laughs> Far out. Yeah, so, but yeah. It's curious. I would like to see what this is chronologically, because right now it's it's quite hard. As usual. <laughs> yes. So, let us... Dobbs. Uh... Dobbs, 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 Dobbs. Chapter 28. Dobbs. McWatt went, and McWatt was not crazy. And so did Yesarian, still walking with a limp, and when Yesarian had gone two more times and then found himself menaced by the rumor of another mission to Bologna, he limped determinedly into Dobbs's tent early one warm afternoon, put a finger to his mouth, and said, Shush. What are you shushing him for? asked Kid Sampson peeling a tangerine with his front teeth as he perused the dog-eared pages of a comic book. He isn't even saying anything. Um, Screw, said Yasserian to Kid Sampson. I Hmm? think we need to clarify with the went, because the end of the last chapter was talking about they're not going to... um, So Yasserian was puzzled by Dr. Nika's inability to comprehend. Don't you see what that means? Now you can take me off combat duty and send me home. They're not going to send a crazy man out to to be killed, are they? Who else will go? And then it's like, McQuart went, and McQuart was not crazy. And so did Yossarian, still mm. walking with a limb. And when he'd gone, to, he's come back from the hospital. He's gone two more times into combat. Right. And, so this this yeah. is a rarity. And the yeah. chapter is continuing right off from the last one. Yep. Okay, it's, thanks yeah. for clarifying. Okay. Screw, said Yossarian to Kid Sampson, jerking his thumb back over his shoulder toward the entrance of the tent. Kid Sampson cocked his blonde eyebrows discerningly and rose to cooperate. He whistled upward four times into his drooping yellow mustache and spurted away into the hills on the dented old green motorcycle he had purchased secondhand months before. Yasserian waited until the last faint bark of the motor had died away in the distance. Things inside the tent did not seem quite normal. The place was too neat. Dobbs was watching him curiously, smoking a fat cigar. Now that Yusarian had made up his mind to be brave, he was deathly afraid. All right, he said. Let's kill Colonel Cathcart. We'll do it together. Dobbs sprang forward off his cot with a look of wildest terror. Shush, he roared. Kill Colonel Cathcart? What are you talking about? Be quiet, damn it, Yusarian snarled. The whole island will hear. Have you still got that gun? Are you crazy or something, shouted Dobbs. Why should I want to kill Colonel Cathcart? Why? Yasserian stared at Dobbs with an incredulous scowl. Why? It was your idea, wasn't it? Didn't you come to the hospital and ask me to do it? Dobbs smiled slowly. But that was when I had only 58 missions, he explained, puffing on his cigar luxuriously. I'm all packed now, and I'm waiting to go home. I finished my 60 missions. So what? Yasserian replied. He's only going to raise them again. Maybe this time he won't. He always raises them. What the hell's the matter with you, Dobbs? Ask Hungry Joe how many times he's packed his bags. I've got to wait and see what happens, Dobbs maintained stubbornly. I'd have to be crazy to get mixed up in something like this now that I'm out of combat. He flicked the ash from his cigar. No, my advice to you, he remarked, is that you fly your 60 missions like the rest of us and then see what happens. Uh, so he's basically... So... The stuff from the hospital, when Nusarian was probably not going to fly and he was probably going to be sent home, or he thought he was being sent home, basically, mm. he's flipping it and he's turning it back and he's repeating yeah. it to Nusarian. That's not cool. But, you know, unlike Arfie, I say Dobbs is justified in what he's doing. 
Because remember, Arfi's I can't hear you was like throwing it back from an earlier thing when Ysarian yeah. was saying that to him. Yeah. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. I think there's a little bit of weird stuff going on as well. The fact that he now, uh, Ysarian's being flagged as being crazy, but then he didn't get sent home kind of thing. I, I think he's become Hungry Joe basically to them, mm. maybe. And, and it, even though Dobbs probably knows uh, that Cathcart will raise the missions again, he now seems to have a, a glimmer of hope. So he's not willing to jeopardize that. No, but also maybe he's he might have snapped. There's another one too. Mm. We'll find out. Yasarian resisted the impulse to spit squarely in his eye. I may not live through 60, he wheedled in a flat pessimistic voice. There's a rumor around that he volunteered the group for Bologna again. It's only a rumor, Dobbs pointed out with a self-important air. You mustn't believe every rumor you hear. Will you stop giving me advice? Why don't you speak to Orr, Dobbs advised. <laughs> Orr got knocked down into the water again last week on that second mission to Avignon. Maybe he's unhappy enough to kill him. Orr hasn't got brains enough to be unhappy. Orr had been knocked down into the water again while Ysarian was still in the hospital and had eased his crippled airplane down gently into the glassy blue swells off Marseille with such flawless skill that not one member of the six-man crew suffered the slightest bruise. The escape hatches in the front and rear sections flew open while the sea was still foaming white and green around the plane, and the men scrambled out as speedily as they could in their flaccid orange May West life jackets that failed to inflate and dangled limp and useless around their necks and waists. The life jackets failed to inflate because Milo had removed the twin carbon dioxide cylinders from the inflating chambers to make the strawberry and crushed pineapple ice cream sodas he served in the officer's mess hall and had replaced them with mimeographed notes that read, What's good for M&M Enterprises is good for the country. Or popped out of the sinking airplane last. You should have seen him, Sergeant Knight roared with laughter as he related the episode to Ysarian. It was the funniest goddamn thing you ever saw. None of the May Wests would work because Milo had stolen the carbon dioxide to make those ice cream sodas you bastards have been getting in the officer's mess. Hilarious. It was hilarious. Okay, yep. But that wasn't too bad, as it turned out. Only one of us couldn't swim, and we lifted that guy up into the raft after Orr had worked it over by its rope right up against the fuselage while we were all still standing on the plane. That little crackpot sure has a knack for things like that. Then the other raft came loose and drifted away, so that all six of us wound up sitting in one with our elbows and legs pressed so close against each other you almost couldn't move without knocking the guy next to you out of the raft into the water. The plane went down about three seconds after we left it, and we were out there all alone. And right after that, we began unscrewing the caps on our mate Wests to see what the hell had gone wrong, and found these goddamn notes from Milo telling us what was good for him was good enough for the rest of us. That bastard. Jesus, did we curse him. All except that buddy of yours, Orr, who just kept grinning as though for all he cared what was good for Milo might be good enough for the rest of us. I swear, you should have seen him sitting up there on the rim of the raft like the captain of a ship while the rest of us just watched him and waited for him to tell us what to do. He kept slapping his hands on his legs every few seconds as though he had the shakes and saying, All right now, all right, and giggling like a crazy little freak, then saying, All right now, all right again, and giggling like a crazy little freak some more. It was like watching some kind of a moron. Watching him was all that kept us from going to pieces altogether during the first few minutes, what with each wave washing over us into the raft or dumping a few of us back into the water so that we had to climb back in again before the next wave came along and washed us right back out. It was sure funny. We just kept falling out and climbing back in. We had the guy who couldn't swim stretched out in the middle of the raft on the floor, but even there he almost drowned because the water inside the raft was deep enough to keep splashing in his face. <laughs> oh boy. Then Orr began opening up compartments in the raft, and the fun really began. First, he found a box of chocolate bars, and he passed those around, so we sat there eating salty chocolate bars while the waves kept knocking us out of the raft into the water. Next, he found some bouillon cubes and aluminium cups and made us some soup. Then he found some tea. Sure, he made it. Can't you see him serving us tea as we sat there soaking wet and water up to our ass? Now, I was falling out of the raft because I was laughing so much. We were all laughing. And he was dead serious, except for that goofy giggle of his and that crazy grin. What a jerk. Whatever he found, he used. 
He found some shark repellent, and he sprinkled it right out into the water. He found some marker dye, and he threw it into the water. The next thing he finds is a fishing line and dried bait, and his face lights up as though the air-sea rescue launch had just sped up to save us before we died of exposure or before the Germans sent a boat out from Spezia to take us prisoner or machine gun us. In no time at all, Orr had that fishing line out into the water, trolling away as happy as a lark. Lieutenant, what do you expect to catch? I asked him. Cod, he told me, and he meant it. And it's a good thing he didn't catch any, because he would have eaten that codfish raw if he'd caught any, and would have made us eat it too, because he had found this little book that said it was all right to eat codfish raw. The next thing he found was this little blue oar about the size of a Dixie cup spoon. And sure enough, he began rowing with it, trying to move all 900 pounds of us with that little stick. Can you imagine? After that, he found a small magnetic compass and a big waterproof map, and he spread the map open on his knees and set the compass on top of it. And that's how he spent the time until the launch picked us up about 30 minutes later, sitting there with that baited fishing line out behind him with the compass in his lap and the map spread out on his knees and paddling away as hard as he could with that dinky blue oar as though he was speeding to Majorca. Jesus! Sergeant Knight knew all about Majorca, and so did Orr, because Usarian had told them often of such sanctuaries as Spain, Switzerland, and Sweden, where American flyers could be interned for the duration of the war under conditions of utmost ease and luxury merely by flying there. Yosarian was the squadron's leading authority on internment and had already begun plotting an emergency heading into Switzerland on every mission he flew into northernmost Italy. He would certainly have preferred Sweden, where the level of intelligence was high and where he could swim nude with beautiful girls with low, demurring voices and sire whole happy, undisciplined tribes of illegitimate Eusarians that the state would assist through parturition and launch into life without stigma. But Sweden was out of reach, too far away, and Eusarian waited for the piece of flak that would knock out one engine over the Italian Alps and provide him with the excuse for heading for Switzerland. He would not even tell his pilot he was guiding him there. Yasserian often thought of scheming with some pilot he trusted to fake a crippled engine and then destroy the evidence of deception with a belly landing. But the only pilot he really trusted was McWatt, who was happiest where he was and still got a big boot out of buzzing his plane over Yasserian's tent or roaring in so low over the bathers at the beach that the fierce wind from his propeller slashed dark furrows in the water and whipped sheets of spray flapping back for seconds afterward. Dobbs and Hungry Joe were out of the question, and so was Orr, who was tinkering with the valve of the stove again when Yasserian limped despondently back into the tent after Dobbs had turned him down. The stove Orr was manufacturing out of an inverted metal drum stood in the middle of the smooth cement floor he had constructed. He was working sedulously on both knees. Yasserian tried paying no attention to him and limped warily to his cot and sat down with a labored, drawn-out grunt. Prickles of perspiration were turning chilly on his forehead. Dobbs had depressed him. Dr. Nika depressed him. An ominous vision of doom depressed him when he looked at Orr. He began ticking with a variety of internal tremors. Nerves twitched, and the vein in one wrist began palpitating. Orr studied Yasserian over his shoulder, his moist lips drawn back around convex rows of large buck teeth. Reaching sideways, he dug a bottle of warm beer out of his footlocker and he handed it to Yasserian after prying off the cap. Neither said a word. Yasserian sipped the bubbles off the top and tilted his head back. Orr watched him cunningly with a noiseless grin. Yasserian eyed Orr guardedly. Orr snickered with a slight, mucid sibilance and turned back to his work, squatting. Yasserian grew tense. Don't start, he begged in a threatening voice, both hands tightening around his beer bottle. Don't start working on your stove. Orr cackled quietly. I'm almost finished. No, you're not. You're about to begin. Here's the valve. See, it's almost all together. And you're about to take it apart. I know what you're doing, you bastard. I've seen you do it 300 times. Orr shivered with glee. I want to get the leak in this gasoline line out, he explained. I've got it down now to where it's only a news. I can't watch you, Yasserian confessed tonelessly. If you want to work with something big, that's okay. But that valve is filled with tiny parts, and I just haven't got the patience right now to watch you working so hard over things that are so goddamn small and unimportant. Just because they're small doesn't mean they're unimportant. I don't care. Once more, when I'm not around, 
You're a happy imbecile and you don't know what it means to feel the way I do. Things happen to me when you work over small things that I can't even begin to explain. I find out that I can't stand you. I start to hate you, and I'm soon thinking seriously about busting this bottle down on your head or stabbing you in the neck with that hunting knife there. Do you understand? Or nodded very intelligently. I won't take the valve apart now, he said, and began taking it apart, working with slow, tireless, interminable precision. His rustic, ungainly face bent very close to the floor, picking painstakingly at the minute mechanism in his fingers with such limitless, plodding concentration that he seemed scarcely to be thinking of it at all. Yasarian cursed him silently and made up his mind to ignore him. What the hell's your hurry with that stove anyway, he barked out a moment later in spite of himself. It's still hot out. We're probably going swimming later. What are you worried about the cold for? The days are getting shorter, or observed philosophically. I'd like to get this all finished for you while there's still time. You'll have the best stove in the squadron when I'm through. It will burn all night with this feed control I'm fixing, and those metal plates will radiate the heat all over the tent. If you leave a helmet full of water on this thing when you go to sleep, you'll have warm water to wash with all ready for you when you wake up. Won't that be nice? If you want to cook eggs or soup, all you'll have to do is set the pot down here and turn the fire up. What do you mean me? Yisarian wanted to know. Where are you going to be? Or's stunted torso shook suddenly with a muffled spasm of amusement. I don't know, he exclaimed, and a weird wavering giggle gushed out suddenly through his chattering buck teeth like an exploding jet of emotion. He was still laughing when he continued, and his voice was clogged with saliva. If they keep on shooting me down this way, I don't know where I'm going to be. Yisarian was moved. Why don't you try to stop flying, Or? You've got an excuse. I've only got 18 missions, but you've been shot down on almost every one. You're either ditching or crash landing every time you go up. Oh, I don't mind flying missions. I guess they're lots of fun. You ought to try flying a few with me when you're not flying lead. Just for laughs. <laughs> or gazed up at Yesarian through the corners of his eyes with a look of pointed mirth. Yesarian avoided his stare. They've got me flying lead again. When you're not flying lead... If you had any brains, do you know what you'd do? You'd go right to Pilchard and Wren and tell them you want to fly with me. And get shot down with you every time you go up? What's the fun in that? That's just why you ought to do it, Or insisted. I guess I'm just about the best pilot around now when it comes to ditching or making crash landings. Notice, would... just going back, mm -hmm. one of the plans this area had was to find a pilot he could rely upon who could do that. Yep. And now someone is saying... In not so many words, I can do that. He's not picking up. Yeah, do you is think he... he's just not getting it? Or maybe the, the, the relationship he has with Orr being um, annoyed by I who think, he is? No, I think he's depressed. And I don't think he... Orr is the kind of person who has a way of coping and communicating that just Yusarian doesn't understand. Mm. And he's Again, that miscommunication and... theme coming up. Yeah, yeah. Even though they're friends. Yes. It's, uh... I guess I'm just about the best pilot around now when it comes to ditching or making crash landings. It would be good practice for you. Good practice for what? Good practice in case you ever have to ditch or make a crash landing. <laughs> have you got another bottle of beer for me? Yesarian asked morosely. Do you want to bust it down on my head? This time, Yesarian did laugh. Like that in that apartment in Rome? Or sniggered lewdly his bulging crabapple cheeks blowing outward with pleasure. Do you really want to know why she was hitting me over the head with her shoe, he teased? I do know, Yasarian teased back. Nately's b told me. Orr grinned like a gargoyle. No, she didn't. Yasarian felt sorry for Orr. Orr was so small and ugly. Who would protect him if he lived? Who would protect a warm-hearted, simple-minded gnome like Orr from rowdies and cliques and from expert athletes like Appleby who had flies in their eyes and would walk right over him with swaggering conceit and self-assurance every chance they got? Yesarian worried frequently about Orr. Who would shield him against animosity and deceit, against people with ambition and the embittered snobbery of the big shot's wife, against the squalid, corrupting indignities of the profit motive, and the friendly neighborhood butcher with inferior meat. Orr was a happy and unsuspecting simpleton with a thick mass of wavy, polychromatic hair parted down the center. He would be mere child's play for them. They would take his money, screw his wife, and show no kindness to his children. 
Yasarian felt a flood of compassion sweep over him. Or was an eccentric midget, a freakish, likable dwarf with a smutty mind and a thousand valuable skills that would keep him in a low-income group all his life. He could use a soldering iron and hammer two boards together so that the wood did not split and the nails did not bend. He could drill holes. He had built a good deal more in the tent while Yesterian was away in the hospital. He had filed or chiseled a perfect channel in the cement so that the slender gasoline line was flush with the floor as it ran to the stove from the tank he had built outside on an elevated platform. He had constructed andirons for the fireplace out of excess bomb parts and had filled them with stout silver logs, and he had framed with stained wood the photographs of girls with big breasts he had torn out of cheesecake magazines and hung over the mantelpiece. Or could open a can of paint. He could mix paint, thin paint, remove paint. He could chop wood and measure things with a ruler. He knew how to build fires, he could dig holes, and he had a real gift for bringing water for them both in cans and canteens from the tanks near the mess hall. He could engross himself in an inconsequential task for hours without growing restless or bored, as oblivious to fatigue as the stump of a tree and almost as taciturn. He had an uncanny knowledge of wildlife and was not afraid of dogs or cats or beetles or moths or of foods like scrod or tripe. Yesarian sighed drearily and began brooding about the rumored mission to Bologna. The valve or was dismantling was about the size of a thumb and contained 37 separate parts, excluding the casing, many of them so minute that Orr was required to pinch them tightly between the tips of his fingernails as he placed them carefully on the floor in orderly cataloged rows, never quickening his movements or slowing them down, never tiring, never pausing in his relentless, methodical, monotonous procedure unless it was to leer at Yesarian with maniacal mischief. Yesarian tried not to watch him. He counted the parts and thought he would go clear out of his mind. He turned away, shutting his eyes. But that was even worse, for now he had only the sounds, the tiny, battening, indefatigable, distant clinks and rustles of hands and weightless parts. Or was breathing rhythmically with a noise that was stertorous and repulsive. Yesarian clenched his fists, and looking at the long bone-handled hunting knife hanging in a holster over the cot of the dead man in the tent. As soon as he thought of stabbing Orr, his tension eased. The idea of murdering Orr was so ridiculous that he began to consider it seriously with queer whimsy and fascination. He searched the nape of Orr's neck for the probable site of the mandula obligata. Just the daintiest stick there would kill him and solve so many serious, agonizing problems for them both. Does it hurt? Orr asked at precisely that moment, as though by protective instinct. Yesterian eyed him closely. Does what hurt? Your leg, said Orr with a strange, mysterious laugh. You still limp a little. It's just a habit, I guess, said Yesterian, breathing again with relief. I'll probably get over it soon. Orr rolled over sideways to the floor and came up on one knee, facing toward Yesarian. Do you remember, he drawled reflectively with an air of labored recollection, that girl who was hitting me on the head that day in Rome? He chuckled at Yesarian's involuntary exclamation of tricked annoyance. I'll make a deal with you about that girl. I'll tell you why that girl was hitting me on the head with her shoe that day if you answer one question. What's the question? Did you ever screw Nately's girl? Yesarian laughed with surprise. Me? No. Now tell me why that girl hit you with her shoe. That wasn't the question, Orr informed him with victorious delight. That was just conversation. She acts like you screwed her. Well, I didn't. How does she act? She acts like she don't like you. She doesn't like anyone. She likes Captain Black, Orr reminded. That's because he treats her like dirt. Anyone can get a girl that way. She wears a slave bracelet on her leg with his name on it. He makes her wear it to needle Nately. She even gives him some of the money she gets from Nately. Listen, what do you want from me? Did you I ever screw him? I wonder if Captain Black's actually um, under the the umbrella of uh, of intelligence gathering is using these girls in vulnerable positions to collect information about. I wouldn't put it past him. Yeah. Listen, what do you want from me? Did you ever screw my girl? Your girl? Who the hell is your girl? The one who hit me over the head with her shoe. I've been with her a couple of times, Yasarian admitted. Since when is she your girl? What are you getting at? She don't like you either. 
What the hell do I care if she likes me or not? She likes me as much as she likes you. Did she ever hit you over the head with her shoe? Or, I'm tired. Why don't you leave me alone? <laughs> How about that skinny countess in Rome with her skinny daughter-in-law? Or persisted impishly with increasing zest. Did you ever screw them? Oh, how I wish I could, sighed the Assyrian honestly, imagining at the mere question the prurient used decaying feel in his petting hands of their teeny pulpy buttocks and breasts. They don't like you either, commented Orr. They like Arfie, and they like Nately, but they don't like you. Women just don't seem to like you. I think they think you're a bad influence. The irony of them liking Arfie is a whole nother thing, but yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Women are crazy, Yasserian answered, and waited grimly for what he knew was coming next. How about that other girl of yours, Or asked with a pretense of pensive curiosity. The fat one? The bald one? You know, that fat bald one in Sicily with the turban who kept sweating all over us all night long. Is she crazy too? Didn't she like me either? How could you do it to a girl with no hair? How was I supposed to know she had no hair? I knew it, Or bragged. I knew it all the time. You knew she was bald? Yasserian exclaimed in wonder. No, I knew this valve wouldn't work if I left a part out, or answered, glowing with a cranberry red elation, because he had just duped the Assyrian again. Will you please hand me that small composition gasket that rolled over there? It's right near your foot. No, it isn't. Right here, said Orr, and took hold of something invisible with the tips of his fingernails and held it up for Yusarian to see. Now I'll have to start all over again. I'll kill you if you do. I'll murder you right on the spot. Why don't you ever fly with me? Or asked suddenly and looked straight into Yasserian's face for the first time. There, that's the question I want you to answer. Why don't you ever fly with me? Yasserian turned away with intense shame and embarrassment. I told you why. They've got me flying lead bombardier most of the time. That's not why, Or said, shaking his head. You went to Pilchard and Wren after the first Afghanon mission and told them you didn't ever want to fly with me. That's why, isn't it? Yasserian felt his skin turn hot. No, I didn't, he lied. Yes, you did, or insisted equably. You asked them not to assign you to any plane piloted by me, Dobbs, or Hupple, because you didn't have confidence in us at the controls, and Pilchard and Wren said they couldn't make an exception of you because it wouldn't be fair to the men who did have to fly with us. So, said Yasserian, it didn't make any difference then, did it? But they never made you fly with me, or, working on both knees again, was addressing Yasserian without bitterness or reproach, but with injured humility which was infinitely more painful to observe, although he was still grinning and snickering, as though the situation were comic. You really ought to fly with me, you know. I'm a pretty good pilot, and I take care of you. I may get knocked down a lot, but that's not my fault, and nobody's ever been hurt in my plane. Yes, sir, if you had any brains, you know what you'd do? You'd go right to Pilchard and Wren and tell them you want to fly all your missions with me. Yasserian leaned forward and peered closely into Aura's inscrutable mask of contradictory emotions. Are you trying to tell me something? <laughs> or responded, I'm trying to tell you why that big girl with the shoe was hitting me on the head that day, but you just won't let me. Tell me, will you fly with me? Yasserian laughed and shook his head. You'll only get knocked down into the water again. Or did get knocked down into the water again when the rumored mission to Bologna was flown, and he landed his single-engine plane with a smashing jar on the choppy, windswept waves, tossing and falling below the warlike black thunderclouds mobilizing overhead. He was late getting out of the plane and ended up alone in a raft that began drifting away from the men in the other raft and was out of sight by the time the air-sea rescue launch came plowing up through the wind and splattering raindrops to take them aboard. Night was already falling by the time they were returned to the squadron. There was no word of oar. Don't worry, reassured Kid Sampson, still wrapped in the heavy blankets and raincoat in which he had been swaddled on the boat by his rescuers. He's probably been picked up already if he didn't drown in that storm. It didn't last long. I bet he'll show up any minute. Yasserian walked back to his tent to wait for Orr to show up any minute and lit a fire to make things warm for him. The stove worked perfectly, with a strong, robust blaze that could be raised or lowered by turning the tap Orr had finally finished repairing. A light rain was falling, drumming softly on the tent, the trees, the ground. Yasserian cooked a can of hot soup to have ready for Orr and ate it all himself as the time passed. He hard-boiled some eggs for Orr and ate those too. Then he ate a whole tin of cheddar cheese from a package of K-rations. Each time he caught himself worrying, he made himself remember that Orr could do everything and broke into silent laughter at the picture of Orr in the raft as Sergeant Knight had described him, 
bent forward with a busy, preoccupied smile over the map and compass in his lap, stuffing one soaking wet chocolate bar after another into his grinning, tittering mouth as he paddled away dutifully through the lightning, thunder, and rain with the bright blue useless toy oar, the fishing line with dried bait trailing out behind him. Yesarian really had no doubt about Orr's ability to survive. If fish could be caught with that silly fishing line, Orr would catch them, and if it was codfish he was after, then Orr would catch a codfish, even though no codfish had ever been caught in those waters before. Yesarian put another can of soup up to cook, and ate that too when it was hot. Every time a car door slammed, he broke into a hopeful smile and turned expectantly toward the entrance, listening for footsteps. He knew that any minute Orr would come walking into the tent with big, glistening, rain-soaked eyes, cheeks, and buck teeth, looking ludicrously like a jolly New England oysterman in a yellow oilskin rain hat, and slicker numerous sizes too large for him and holding up proudly for Yesarian's amusement, a great dead codfish he had caught. But he didn't. The Orr has disappeared. Yeah, missing in action, I think the term is called. Yes, but the interesting thing here is Orr was insisting, was really trying to get Ysarian to come with him. Yeah, my my feeling after reading that is that he used the Bologna mission, or was that the second Avignon mission, but he used that mission as his yes. escape from the army. He used the second Avignon mission to test out the theory, like yes. what was on the raft, what's available, what's not, can I, uh, can I loosen, how long does it take for the plane to go down? And he, he, he was basically he was basically holding up a sign to Yesarian's face and yelling at him, go, come with me. Yes. It was it was a case of you've got all these because you can't be this brilliant at all these other different things and not have thought this through. Yeah. Although I will say right now, it's probably a good thing Yesarian didn't go with him, because Yesarian would have killed him in the raft. There is that. There is there is that. He would not have survived on that raft. No. Which is why I think, or as you said, I'm making sure you have a stove. Mm. Well, that was it was right there in that planning. conversation. Like, yeah. like Yasserian was, where are you going? <laughs> yeah. But also the fact that the girl hit him on the head, I bet you it was because he said, I'm leaving. Mm. I'm leaving and I can't take you with me. And And because... The way he talks, and he does like to wind Usarian up, we still never heard that story. No. No. It's fascinating, though. But yeah, it's it's a whole... Uh... Oh, but that, that, that was kind of a... I thought that was a lovely little interaction between those two. That that took up most of the chapter. We yeah, got him... you know, Usarian pondering his murder and... But but also, like, that, that how he wants to protect Orr from everyone. Like, he had genuine compassion because yeah, he, he's he, like, he does the, the world will, you know, he's useful, but but he, he's, the way he works, like, the world's going to eat him alive. I want to protect yeah. him. Yeah, and that's, that kind of wanting to be... I think Yusarian does actually have these traits of wanting to protect people around him and actually has a good kind of... He's got values, he does, and that's the problem, I think. Yeah. That's that's half the problem, which is why he's not doing so well right now. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and I'm, just, I'm just speculating now, but when he kind of comes to the realization that Aura's not coming back... I think that's really going to kick him a lot, like Even kick him into that. a new gear of despondency. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to get rough. Oh my God. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, I can, I can see this is going really crazy. Like, mm, I don't see this as going well for, for Usarian at all. Yeah, it's. Because, I mean, also, yeah, we, we started right where the last chapter left off with him going to Dobbs and going, okay, I'm finally in. And Dobbs is like, no. But I wonder yeah. I wonder if there'll be a little vindication where then when Cathra raises the missions again, <laughs> Dobbs is going to come Because we know they did him. get raised because they were up to 60 and then they went up to 65 or something. Like, um, and, yeah, he's, he's also the fact that Dobbs was refusing to believe that, that Bologna could happen again. Mm. And it did. Yep. So, so much for that sense of comfort. Man, how bad at his job is Cathcart? 
he's really bad. But I think also that's part of the commentary here is that yeah. those when you favor incompetence and you focus on nepotism and connection and climbers and force and insincerity insincerity it's all about when you you demand blind allegiance and this is not to be um uh, could use another term if you if you you demand complete uh, obedience and uh, a fanatic following so to speak then you're not going to get quality but that's also not the purpose the purpose is to just get these things done. Yeah, very, very. Uh, we we've used the term machine before when talking about like mm-hmm. 1984 and Brave New World, but the army is definitely a machine. Oh yeah, it, and and it, it, the thing is, it's trying to mechanize humans that are not like humans are. We have patterns, we have habits, we have other things, but it's it's actually not natural. Like it's not a natural relationship of things. I mean systematic uh, the science of war so to speak is not natural to us it shouldn't be it, is, it isn't natural it's not healthy that we've invested so much knowledge and insight and study into how we can dehumanize and we try well, and dehumanize them that's the thing like they treat mm-hmm. people as as fodder I, well i just was hit by the thought then when you were talking about that that if if war was natural ptsd wouldn't be a thing exactly because our brains would be totally fine with it yeah, if it was a natural inclination, which and, and again, I'm not saying that humans are not capable of violence, are not capable of greed and conquest. Oh, and I, I, I think know. we're capable of anything, negative think, or yes, positive. Exactly. I think the point is that it's not actually in our collective, in terms of our collective well-being. The fact that we have made, we have d- refined conflict and conquest and all these things down to a science. Hmm is disturbing and and i mean this is kind of old news for those and most of those listening but like i think it was yeah it it was a documentary series i watched in the early 2000s kind of on the history of war and i'd never really given it much thought but that series really keyed me into like um i mean okay this is from the basis of looking at war so obviously it's going to be skewed in that favor but it was like wow so much technical technological advancement has basically uh happened through conflict the idea that we need we need need to push this forward to get a one-up over our foe and i would even say it's not even that it's through conflict that it was developed it was because for the purpose of of more efficiently engaging in wide-scale murder but but like that that factoid was kind of just a really saddening realization that yeah. that so much you know I mean all all the modern wonders that was that have been afforded us by splitting the atom that was used for a very horrific purpose. Yeah, but also like we had the option of not. I don't know. There's, I think it's it's complex. I think a lot of uh, material progress we ascribe it to military and conquest and all those things, but also a lot of these things come from. It, okay, d- when we have a crisis, a lot of innovation definitely ha- happens. Like we even now, COVID situation has pushed forward in some ways our understanding and our application of. Some things. It's also shown the cracks in our systems, mm. big time. Pressure cookers tend to do that, but it has also shown what seems to help and what seems to work, and it does seem to be like collaboration, transparency, openness, uh, not having like when you when you think uh, if you only focus on your own population but don't address the needs of another population, it will still affect you. <laughs> It's like it's like I, I I know I've stubbed my toe, but I'm going to ignore my toe because I want to focus on the rest of my body. Your toe's still stubbed, and if you've broken a bone that's in your toe, that can wander and fragment off and cause the thrombotic. Well, you, you know that so, old yeah. um, that old metaphor about you know holding a uh, holding a handful of sand. The the tighter you squeeze, the more sand's going to slip through your fingers. Yeah, I feel like the, uh, thinking about that in terms of other countries, but yeah. Uh, the idea of tightening down your borders. Well, 
you can't. It's an impossibility to keep everyone out. And then you, I mean, you can tighten borders, but if you don't tighten borders whilst at the same time, you know, actively working to support the the well-being of all, it was, we're still on the same planet, folks. We're still going to be affected. If it's out of control in one little island somewhere in the world and a variant develops there yeah, because they couldn't access adequate support or control measures or whatever, then that's going to affect the world somehow. Yeah. It will. Even if it's just simply knowing that there's going to be a population that is severely affected by a virus that could have been contained and managed. Mm. So it's it's there's all these things that come into play. And I think, um, yeah, it's hard. It's yeah, it, it, it's, I mean, yeah. Th- I'm trying to think of the right words and they're not coming, but like the... The fact that this conversation is springing out of the madness of Catch-22. Yeah. Well, it, it's the same thing. It's When we're looking at things and we try and reduce people into... When we reduce people down to functioning only to serve certain agendas, as opposed to having a common goal that everyone is supportive of. Not to do a Milo business, because... My, see, Milo's approach is what's good for Milo is good for everyone else, right? And, oh, you know, we couldn't go one chapter without hearing of another horrible thing he did. No, but I actually see that as the Milo situation is a great example of what's good for what's good for Milo is good for everyone else. How is that any different to what's good for a certain fragment of the population in Germany, for example, then historically, what's good for a handful of the population is going to be good for everyone else. And if, you know, if my own people have to suffer, well, you know, it's for the good of everyone anyway. So it's a twisted form of... It's it's I know best. Yeah, it's projecting. It's, it's placing your agenda and, and imposing it on everyone else and making everyone else conform to your agenda, no matter what. And that's... Uh, yeah. It's sad. Very sad. Yeah. yeah. In the meantime, no more or, well, this is not chronological, so we'll probably hear about or again. We might have more or, but it seems at least this point in the timeline, we probably want to see him again for the future. The irony that he used an or, (laughs) or was using an or. An or like this big, I'm holding up like an inch, you know. It was was a Dixie cup spoon wasn't it no he said that was the size the, of a dixie cup spoon well that's what the um how how the, the story went well yeah the story went although whether it was or not and also here's the thing i wonder if or modified the content of those rafts hmm. because he might have wanted to see how long does it take for a rescue to come if you don't work towards them and, and you that know, would just actually hit, make sense. It just hit me then. He's he's been shot down every time he's gone up. That's got to be on purpose because he's yeah. always landed safely. Yeah. And, and it seems like a long, for a while now he's been begging Yasserian, fly with me. Yeah. This is this sounds like he's been assessing the rescue time. He's been and trying to help t- his buddy, and Yasserian is just too far down to be able to see it. Yeah. But oh, also damn. That, the way that's Yusserian's so sad. I know. Uh, it's sad. They're trying. Yeah. Well, it makes me like Orr even more. Yeah. I think Orr had a really good, or has a really good uh, thing. He, he, he's, he's been, I think that's, that would also explain why he kept laughing and giggling. Because he was in on the joke. Yeah. And everyone else was like, what is, what's wrong with this guy? It's like, ah, yes, but he knows something that you don't know in that he is using all of this to train. And, and you know, just could be PTSD as well. I mean, that's probably a bit of P, but definitely a bit of PTSD. Oh, man. Uh, oh, dear, dear. But I think we will call it there for today. Yes. Uh, let me just... What's the name of the next chapter? Uh, Peckham. Peckham. Oh, mm. a general. The bad general. Well, Dreadle's not great, but Peckham was... was it's terrible. 
uh, he, he, he was kind of written as he's the worst alternative. Yes. So that'll be interesting. Um, okay. Well, thank you for joining us. The music at the top of the podcast is Soap Runs. It's by Rupert Gregson-Williams and Harry Gregson-Williams. It's from the adaptation of Catch-22 from 2019. The music at the end of the podcast is I'm the Slime by Frank Zappa. You can find me over on Twitter at Dave underscore the underscore turnip. You can find me on Twitter at Rumikmoo. And you can find our podcast at SMBSLT Podcast. That's on Twitter and on Facebook. And if you add at gmail.com, you get our email. And you can send us emails if you wish to share feedback, to share ideas, to share comments on stories that we haven't considered. We're just happy. Any feedback. If you can do any reviews as well, we're mm. very happy. Rate and review, please. Okay. It, it gets us out to more people, I have been told. Apparently. You know, appease the mighty algorithm. Uh, the algorithm. All hail to the algorithm. All hail. You know, it, it's probably a good thing that the growth of my YouTube channel has been so infinitesimal over the years because it, it was about two to three years ago where I stopped intentionally trying to chase the algorithm or work out what might boost and i just really i've been fighting like no i'm just gonna do my thing and if it hits it hits mm -hmm. which is a healthier way to do things it's um yes i think i think letting things grow at the pace that they grow that is fine that makes mm. sense the healthier but part. yes i i hope you're enjoying yourself i hope you're enjoying your reading hey if you're reading any books you're really excited about let us know about those but until next time please stay safe and we'll see you all next week mm.